This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. I'm Paul New. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs from AOPA. On Ask the AMPs, we take your toughest maintenance questions and uh, try to solve them. So if you have a question, reach out to us at podcasts at aopa.org. And if you like the show, make sure to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to get on our email list uh, for our monthly newsletter and uh, weekly maintenance stories, the easiest way is to text the word SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777, and our uh, little email bot will ask you for your email and add you to the list. Once again, uh, text the word SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777 to put yourself on our list. I was uh, having a conversation with, a, with an aircraft owner, actually yesterday, who reached out to me for advice on what he said was a delicate problem. And I asked him what the problem was. And he said, well, he, he's a very maintenance-involved aircraft owner. He does almost all of the work on his airplane He's not an A&P, but he does it under supervision. He did his own engine change. He done a lot of stuff under supervision. And he said, but his mechanic has not been keeping up with the logbook entries. And he said he, he doesn't have signed logbook entries for the last two annual inspections, even though the, the, the IA said, you know, that everything was good to go. And um, uh, he, he actually went in and asked, the, the IA to update the logbooks, bring them up to date and, and give them to him so he could go make some copies for safekeeping. And the, uh, the IA was like Huffy. very evasive. <laughs> and, and he said, how, how, how am I going to handle this? So I, I said, well, I said, first of all, it sounds like you have been flying the airplane in violation of the FARs for the last Absolutely. two years. Yeah, uh, I, I said it, it's kind of ironic the way the regs are written, but the basic idea is that mechanics are are obligated to make maintenance records to to memorialize the work they do, and to uh, affix their signature to indicate that that the work's been done satisfactorily, or in the case of an annual inspection, to memorialize the fact that they've done the inspection and found the aircraft airworthy. Yeah. Doesn't say uh, when though. But the the irony <laughs> exactly. is that that there's no timeliness requirement right. in yeah. the regulations. And a very common scenario that we run into all the time is where owners will um will go to the shop to pick up their airplane on a Friday. You know, it's got one of these things that so it's got to be done by Friday because I got a big weekend trip coming up. And they get to the shop and the Mechanics are buttoning up the last uh, camlock fasteners on the cowling, and uh, they roll the airplane out and say you're good to go. And and they said, well, you know, we'll 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 finish we'll up the paper. The we'll, we'll finish yeah. up the paperwork yeah. on Monday, and yeah. And uh, they, you know, they launch off into the blue, and they're they're not allowed to do that. The airplane isn't allowed to be flown until there's an approval for return to service in the form of a, a signature of an authorized person. And there, there's no rule about how long a mechanic can drag his feet to do that. He's supposed to make the maintenance record entry. He's required to do that, but he's not required to do it at any particular time. So the mechanic is never going to be in violation of the regs 
because he didn't make the logbook entry. He can just say, well, I didn't get around to it yet. But the owner is in violation if he flies the airplane. So it's, it's kind of an irony the way the, the, the regs are written. But, but you know, you, you really shouldn't pick up your airplane without also picking up a signed logbook entry because the, the airplane doesn't do you any good without the signed logbook entry. And it's also not a bad idea to to not pay the bill until you get a signed logbook entry because yeah. that gives the mechanic a little bit of incentive to, to get the paperwork done because he wants to get paid. And the, the most likely time to have a problem is at, right after, <laughs> after maintenance. I, I exactly. hate to say that. It's just, right. it's real. So as the owner, you go take, you know, traipsing off on that weekend trip and you have a runway excursion because you have a flat tire, maybe the tube got pinched or whatever. Nothing to do with the maintenance. Nothing. Well, yeah, yeah maybe it doesn't. Possibly. But the, yeah. the second thing the FAA asked for are the records. And there you are, you've flown the airplane illegally and the mechanic has done nothing wrong. So I have to add to this. <laughs> so this Uh-oh. is, it, no, yeah, this is bad. I figured this would get your attention, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, we used to do, we used to be bad about this as well. So I just don't have time to get the log entries. I'll get them to you next week. And it took a while for it, all the, the legalities of this to sink in. And it's it's a really big deal. We're to the point now that post-maintenance, I will often do post-maintenance flight checks for customers before they come get the airplane, which I love to do. But we don't we don't even do those until the paperwork's done. So, you know, I'll come out and you know, Blake is like, I need you to go fly that airplane, but I don't have the law books done. So I'll have them for you this afternoon. And the airplane's ready to go except for that. But in my um, I wrote an article. If, if you go to my website and find the article, look for a, a story called a tale of woe or a story of woe. And it's this big, long thing. But the, the net result is one of my customers oh, this has been many years ago, had an aero commander, twin engine, big piston, all that kind of stuff. And he had been having his annuals done at a particular shop and had some problems. I don't remember all the details specifically, but they're in the article. But after the fact, he found out that the guy doing his annuals was not an AM, I mean, it was not an IA. He was oh, an AMP and he had been using an IA signature. He was doing the signing off but the IA never even saw the airplane. This is all being done remotely. But then somehow the IA had passed away. And <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Oh, it was it wow. was horrible. It was a terrible, terrible mess. But it was an interesting story. It wasn't about a Cessna, and I was writing about Cessnas. He owned a Cessna by the time he came to me, but I couldn't resist. It was just too fascinating of a story. But absolutely, you should, as and I think Mike, you you've written an article. Some time ago, I was talking about no IOUs for law books. Exactly. And, yeah. And yeah. yeah you, when you leave with your airplane, the log entry is a part of that airplane. You don't leave without it. Some yeah, shops the, the part, don't part want 90, to do that. Part 91 actually obligates the owner to verify that the log book entry has been made and signed. And so many owners just leave their log books at the shop. Oh yeah, never and do that. And if they do that, first of all, how can they possibly comply with the reg that says you have to verify that the that the entry's been made? You, you have to have the logbook in your hot little hand in order to do that. But then the other thing is that we've seen so many cases of mechanics that, that get into an argument with an owner and wind up holding the logbooks hostage, and that's always a bad situation. Our first question is from Marius, who has a mag that's giving him the shakes. Go ahead, Marius. Hello, yes. So um, I have a 1977 Cessna uh, R172K fuel injected uh, with the IO360 constant speed prop. I just cleaned and gapped the spark plugs, and I'm still getting rough mags on run-up. Could this be because the engine is just not warm enough? or could there be any other issues there? Oh, the list is long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not totally clear on the symptoms. You, you're saying you're getting a bad run-up, a bad a mag drop when you're doing a run-up, or what exactly are the symptoms? Yes, uh, it's. Uh, I'm getting rough mags on both. Usually, usually is on 
the left mag and now it's starting to do on the right mag and i'm getting three almost 400 rpm drop and what what kind of magnetos do you have i'm not sure Uh, i'm not sure what magnet do you have a ninja monitor i do not know oh so we don't know which cylinders are dropping out so we further uh, investigated and we saw that uh, uh, cylinder one is, I had an MP look at it uh, not too long ago and uh, it's uh, it has a little bit of uh, oil. The spark plug has oil in it. And um, what uh, he mentioned and uh, basically told me that I should uh, install fine wire spark plugs and that I should probably see a big improvement with that. And uh, I just did that actually not too long ago. This question actually was um, a couple, a few months back, but, uh, and I seen great improvement. Uh, I can't tell for sure if it's, uh, if it's fixed completely, but it's uh, definitely within the parameters. Then the runups are great now, but, um, but it cost you fifteen hundred dollars in spark plugs. Cost about uh, fifteen plus uh, yeah. labor, about eighteen hundred dollars later, and uh, but they're great. I love them. They but, yeah. they are. The it seems to work for now. I only have about four hours on the new spark plugs, so we'll see mm-hmm. how it goes. I, I'm laughing because I just bought six spark plugs for the bottom of my IO540 because it was fouling a lot, and uh, it doesn't like to run lean when I start up. So. Uh, I did it for reliability, and I love fine wires. I know other people here have different opinions about them, but the one thing we probably all could agree on is that they are very expensive, very dear. They are. Yeah. They do work better in an engine that's got problems with oil fouling. Well, I think they they work better in general. The question is, do they work better enough to justify the cost? Yeah, three times. Since, since, since I fly an airplane that has 24 spark plugs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little different view. <clears throat> well, I mean, Paul, is your list still long or is it shortened a little bit now that he well, found oil and spark plugs? Um, yeah, it's shortened a little bit. So understanding that it was happening on both magnetos uh, would have been nice to have engine data because we probably could have seen that the, the cylinders that were dropping out were bottom cylinders would have shortened our troubleshooting effort a little bit. No, this is not an intentional uh, sales pitch for engine monitors, but you know, while we're here, it's, you know, may as well. But Lycoming has had a problem with their new, some of their new engines on the 172 and the 182 with uh, poor, they should be called ignition system checks, not mag checks, but mag checks, because that's what we tend to call them. And they require now or recommend that you lean the engine before doing a mag check. So you run it at 1800, lean the engine till you get a slight RPM rise, and then check the mag. And it's a, a stunning difference between 150 RPM to a 200 RPM drop down to maybe a 50 RPM drop just by doing that. So I think what might be valuable on your engine, if, because if it's an oil issue, you still have the oil issue. The spark plugs have now kind of blanketed that, which is great, but eventually it will be an issue. And I don't think you need to attack anything with tools, but during your run-up, maybe get to the 1800 or 1900, whatever you're using, lean a little bit, let it run so that you can burn off some of that oil, give it a chance, do your prop check first, let all the, well, you don't have EGTs. I was gonna say, let all your EGTs stabilize. And then do the mag check. Give it a little time for all that oil to clear. Uh, Because as soon as you go full throttle, if it's oil, it's going to clear. It's interesting. I've been doing that for 30 years in the Cardinal. I always leaned it out before I did the check. Yeah, and I've been been preaching this for 30 years. It's nice to hear that Lightcombing has finally caught (laughs) up with us. (laughs) But that's that's really the way it always should, should, should have been done. I mean, but oil in the cylinder is... Low by is a um is worn rings or or glazed cylinder walls. Yeah, um, so there's a lot of things that you don't want to have to worry about because they involve well. You know, I mean, pulling it's, the not, it's not unusual to to have some oil puddling if the engine's been sitting for a while. Sure. Yeah, the engine's been sitting for a few years, more than a yeah. few years. Oh yeah. Oh well, that, 
And that first plot time, thickens. all that oil down, yeah, the plot thickens, you're right. All that oil <laughs> that's sitting down at the bottom of the cylinder, when you turn the engine over, the first thing it does is it pushes Scrapes it, it into, into the spark, spark plugs. <laughs> and it just fills like it with squeegee. oil. Yeah, that's exactly what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're just asking for trouble. Well, he's already spent the money on the fine oh, wire, yeah, yeah, so you're not good. helping Sorry. him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Marius is sitting here like, you, you know. No, he did the he did the perfect thing. No, it's all good. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm going down that same route. But it sounds like you've got a good handle on it. So start saving for a, a proper engine monitor. And <laughs> well, he's in he's in the hole now. But you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, get the, the, get the that engine monitor <laughs> fund went to fine wire plugs. And... <laughs> yeah, you'll like them. You'll like them. You won't have to clean them and gap them as much. So oh, don't you'll... gap them ever. Yeah. There's no gapping. They're pretty effortless, and they last a long time. Probably right after he gets the airline job, he can start saving. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. I appreciate and, yeah. it. Thank you for uh, answering my question. Th- sure. Thanks, Marius. Thanks good for have calling you on. in. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our next question is from Nigel, who wants to get deep into condition-based maintenance. Go ahead, Nigel. Hello, everybody. I have a turbo-normalized conversion Bonanza. motor has about 1,900 hours on it. Uh, The accessories, turbo, uh, wastegate actuator, wastegate controller, have the same amount of time on them. Obviously, mags and things like that, we we do the the, the normal service intervals. And I'm wondering about condition monitoring on turbocharger system components and what you might consider to be useful ways of doing that. Um, The prop also had about, actually there were 2,000 hours on it, and I made a fact-free decision a few weeks ago to have it overhaul. (laughs) Fact-free, I love that. For no no very good basis, Uh, but just because it was X years old and had 2,000 hours on it. You should have come on the podcast first so we could talk you out of it. That was a that was a very expensive mistake in timing. <laughs> well, it's interesting. No, nobody will do an IRAN on a twenty-four-year-old that, that, right. prop that's never uh, had yep. any maintenance. That's right. That's right. But, but it didn't need any. So let let let's talk about the prop first, and then we'll talk about the turbo system. Okay. I guess what I have to say about props, and and hopefully there are no prop shop employees listening to this podcast because they will be violently in a, a opposition but i have been a ntsb accident report junkie for about five decades i read dozens of ntsb accident reports literally every week i subscribe to a publication called the ntsb reporter and i just and in in five decades i have yet to read an accident report where the probable cause was related to a a high time propeller. That's not to say that props can go forever, but in my view, if, if they're not leaking and they're regulating RPM properly, just leave them alone. You know, now prop shops don't agree with that. And, uh, you know, my experience is the same as yours. I, I had a, kind of an engine failure back in 2014. I was blind to Oshkosh and one of my pistons decided to shed half of the piston skirt into the engine while I was over flying Las Vegas and uh, filled fill the engine full of aluminum, marble-sized pieces of aluminum after that piston skirt tangled with the, the crankshaft and lost. And, um, and, and, and I actually... Paul and I got that airplane put back into service in a in a very memorable experience that yeah. neither of us will ever forget. <laughs> but but I remember one of one thing that happened was that that you know the prop obviously came off and the engine got sent out for overhaul and so I called the local prop shop in Las Vegas who will remain nameless and I said could you do a clean and flush on my on my propeller and my prop governor. And they said, how much time is on them? And I told them, and they said, no, we won't do anything but a full overhaul. And I said, well, thanks, but no thanks. And I poured a bunch of Stoddard solvent into the prop, and I put it back on the engine because they wouldn't, they wouldn't help me out. So that I, I've had exactly the same experience as you. But 
propeller problems are, are, are not something that, that cause accidents in, in, in my considered opinion after reading thousands of NTSB accident reports over the years. And so if, if the prop is, like I say, if it's not leaking and it's, and it's regulating RPM properly and it doesn't have any, you know, major gashes on the blades that you, that, where you worry about fatigue fractures or something, I would just, I would just keep on trucking with it. No, I think that's probably very good advice, but I didn't take it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, let's talk about the turbo system. And basically, there, there are three major components to the turbo system. There's, there's the wastegate assembly, there's the controller, and there's the turbocharger itself. Controllers almost never fail. The only time I've ever had problems with controllers is, is when they got FOD in them. And uh, the solution has always been to blow them out with shop air, and then they work again. <laughs> so, wastegates are, are are fairly problematic, and they they live a very difficult life. They're, they're sitting there at, at some ungodly amount of temperature and getting all contaminated with exhaust deposits and stuff. And so, eventually, they'll start sticking, and you'll you'll no, notice that because you you know your manifold pressure regulation will. will will be erratic and then you you saturate them with with uh, mouse milk and if that doesn't solve the problem you send them out to be overhauled the turbocharger also has a a, a limited life but it, they're they're pretty easy to inspect and we do this at every annual inspection the main thing you want to do is you you want to take the tailpipe off and take the the induction stuff off so you have access to both sides of the turbocharger and then grab both ends of the shaft and and, and wiggle and uh there should not be any wiggle in the axial direction or i said that wrong in the radial direction there, there should be a little bit of wiggle in the axial direction but not any in the radial direction and then the other thing you look for is you look for any evidence of of blade scrape because if a turbocharger stays in service long enough, the, the veins of the turbine wheel stretch and eventually they'll start rubbing against the turbine housing. So you look for that. And then you also look for, for cracks in the, uh, in the flange where the tailpipe attaches. And um, that's just something that, that we always do on an annual inspection of a, of, of a turbocharged airplane. My shop... Um... There's a well-known Bonanza shop in Michigan. Um, we, as, as you say, in the in the annuals, we we can look at the compressor side, we can look at the turbine side, we can do that with bore scopes. It's very unless you do a significant amount of disassembly, as you probably know, the turbo normalized Bonanzas are extremely densely packaged. <laughs> yes, uh, to um, to get into the top of the turbine, in other words, the inlet side from the exhaust manifold, is really difficult. You're essentially taking the whole turbo system apart to get there. And so uh, inspecting that part is, is perhaps the most difficult part, but certainly looking, looking at both sides with the, with the bore scope and checking for actual and a little bit of actual play and, and, and no radial play is something we can easily do. And You're saying that it's hard to get to the cold side of the, of the turbo? No, 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 it's easy to get to the cold side. It's easy okay. to get to the outlet side of the hot right. side because you say okay. you, can go, you can go up the stub. To get into the top of the turbocharger where the two sides of the exhaust system come together and, and where the, the, the hot side in oh. is very difficult because you've got to take the thing apart to get there's, in there. There's not much you're going to see yeah, in there the, anyway. Yeah, but that's I, the, I was told by various people that if you're going to get cracks in the housing, they're more likely to be there on the inlet side than they are on the outlet side. But I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, and, and that's true. And and I've I've seen some turbochargers come off of airplanes who, whose owners shall remain nameless. <laughs> but but they but they do a podcast. Um, um, and sometimes uh, when the turbo is high time, that area looks pretty horrendous. But it never seems to have that much effect on the operation of the of, of the turbocharger. So the 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 main problems that I've seen are are um, are blade scrape and uh, and cracks in the in the flange where the where the tailpipe attaches. Yeah, the, where the where the V band clamp is. Yeah, exactly. I've operated two turbo normalized bonanzas out to 
you know, 1,800, 1,900 hours without any turbo system problems at all. They all get, they operated lean at peak all the time. I don't know whether that has any, any uh, help for them, but I guess I shall just keep on doing the sort of condition monitoring that you're talking about because that's what we already do. And while well, it continues to get to altitude and it continues to regulate manifold pressure fine, then I shall continue to fly it. Can you uh, run a borescope up and see the wastegate? Yeah. Okay, so you want to inspect that, make sure it's not warped and that sort of thing. I don't know about the turbo normalized Bonanza, but almost all other turbos will have a check valve in the oil inlet and the oil outlet. I would put those on a, it's pretty simple to take them off and inspect. I would put those on a, depending on what kind you have, maybe a thousand hour, just take it apart, make sure it's uh, okay. Because I've seen so many turbos pulled and sent away because, you know, all this blue smoke is coming out of the engine. They, oh, the turbo shot. And the reality, it wasn't the turbo, it was the check valves that were allowing the turbos to fill with oil while the airplane was sitting on the ground. So, uh, but, but isn't 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 the usual symptom of a of a, a check valve failure, Paul, that 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 the plane leaks oil on the ground out of out the tailpipe when it's sitting in the hangar? Well, it can. If it, for instance, if the inlet check valve doesn't close, then you siphon oil into the turbo and it fills up with oil. And if it sits there long enough, and it leaks bad enough because the the shaft on the turbo doesn't seal at low temperature doesn't seal great at high temperature, but it's just not made to sit there with oil in it. And so, yeah, it will eventually drip out the tailpipe, but that takes, that's a lot of oil. It may take a half a quart to fill the turbo until it gets high enough to come out. But the outlet check valve is the one that I also worry about because if it fails, it blocks the oil from returning to the scavenge pump. And if that occurs, now you have back pressure and you're forcing oil out the turbo while you're flying and you don't get to see that. You're just pumping it overboard and you have no clue. But you have a great smoke trail. You have a great smoke trail. And it, it won't necessarily show up in the tailpipe. I mean, you think it would, but it's burning. I mean, that turbo's 15, 1600 degrees and it's burning that oil. It's not going through as a liquid. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. We 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 don't um, routinely. Well, in fact, we have not looked at those check valves, so that's something to add to the list. Can the uh, can the inlet check valve uh, fail closed and and starve the turbo of oil? Oh, sure. Which yeah. would also cause a failure. But you would find out about that one pretty quick. Pretty quick, yeah. <laughs> and and you're not you're probably not going to catch that. I mean, that's going to be an odd failure. They don't do that very often. There are no check valves in the turbo system on my Cessna 310 because the the turbochargers are high enough. Mm, right. The, the only yeah. time you need check valves is if the turbocharger is mounted low, uh, where where oil can siphon down into the turbo. But if the turbocharger is mounted up high relative to the engine, then you don't need the check valve. So some systems have them and some systems don't. The Bonanzas do because the turbos are weighed down yeah. by the gill right. plate, so there's nowhere else to put yeah. them. Like a two, all the single-engine Cessnas are, are mounted down low. Yeah, the, yeah. the, tur- the turbo-normalized Bonanzas are what we call 15 pounds of stuff in a 10-pound sack. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's, wow. the clean, that's the clean version. <laughs> yeah, you need a comprehensive selection of cuss words to work on those airplanes <laughs> because your, your, your normal short list doesn't work. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. But they're great. But they're amazing airplanes. Yeah, they are. Well, so yeah. I've had two of them and they are great. Well, we love to hear about people thinking about condition monitoring. That's a good thing. Yeah, good call, Nigel. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Nice talking to you. All right. All right. Enjoy that. Bye bye. Our next question is from Michael, who has a solution, but is searching for the problem. Go ahead, Michael. My my wife and I flew to uh, Southern California, and uh, when we were descending into the traffic pattern, the engine got extremely rough. This is an IO320, so it's four cylinders. Uh, So one of of them stops working, it's a lot of shaking. (laughs) Uh, Found that if I added a little bit of power, the shaking entirely went away. Pull back the power, shaking came back. I landed. I had the mechanics take a look at it. I'm a savvy customer. Uh, I called for advice. There was no no issue with flying home from from their perspective. The mechanic couldn't find anything. Valves were all opening, closing. So flew home, had a mechanic take a look at it, and he found that there was no clearance on the valve train. 
on that particular exhaust valve, zero. Like, you know, you put something in there to compress the the lifter, uh, and then you'd pull it back out and it would slam shut, like it was immediately up against the end. So pulled the cylinder off, pulled the exhaust valve out, and found that the keeper groove had been stretched or worn or something along those lines uh, to where the top segment of it was much smaller than it should have been, like it was actually compressed. And I can't figure out what would have caused that. Now, recently, I have found that uh, cylinder number three is starting to behave in a similar fashion, where when I pull the power back, when I look at the logs, I see the EGT drops 200 degrees below any of the others when it's right on par with it in every other way. Uh, and then it kind of comes back shortly after, about three seconds later. So that's my question. What would cause that to happen to an exhaust valve? And should I be worried about it on the other cylinders? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Absolutely. I took a I took a, a close look at that photograph and magnified it up so I could get a really good look at it. It it doesn't look stretched. It looks it looks ground down. It looks like somebody turned it on a lathe. We were talking about it a little bit earlier. The only thing I can think of is that somehow the 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 keepers weren't put in correctly uh, and they were vibrating and and grinding away metal on that valve stem and it's a good thing you caught it because it it looks like it was headed headed for a catastrophic failure so i i don't know the history i don't know whether this cylinder had had, had been changed at some point but if the cylinders all have similar history I, I think in an abundance of caution, I'd pull all the rocker covers off and, and, and pull the valve springs off and just check them all out and make sure that none of, none of the other ones are suffering the same fate. I, I think, too, and looking at the picture, I feel the same as Mike, that this is a machining process, not a stretching process. Lycoming used the same keepers for most of their engines, but I would really just want to make sure that the correct keepers were installed. And you didn't mention that one was missing, so I can assume that both keepers came out. <laughs> they were both there. I have not seen one do that before, but I what, what kind of engine is this? It's an IO three twenty. Three twenty. It used to be a turbocharged uh, early in its life. It's a Charlie it could, One Alpha. Oh, did it come off a uh, twin Comanche? It did. Yeah. Is that a is that a parallel valve or an angle valve engine? Paul? It's parallel. Yeah. It's, it's a tough little engine, but something's not right here. And definitely you want to take a look at the other ones. It's, you know, it's inexpensive, easy to do, and it'd be worth the time. I'm wondering, how could you install the keepers incorrectly? It seems like they only go on yeah, one way. They only fit in one way. I mean, it's the same keepers on your Cardinal. Yeah. So maybe the wrong keepers? Maybe. Well, that's what I was thinking. Possibly the wrong keepers, but I'm trying to think. And I'm not a, a major Lycoming person, but I, I think pretty much all the engines use the same keepers, all the half-inch valve or .499 valve. So I'm, something's loose, or maybe the cap on the springs was machined in properly, although that's I've never seen that. But Interestingly, in this particular case, the cap is deeper than the keeper groove is tall. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, I'm wondering. Sounds if like that, something could be wrong in the cap. Yeah, I, I don't know. It'd be like pipe threads cut too deep or something and allowing that the keeper and the cap to bounce on the valve. So what you could how do is... How long has this been on the engine? I think the last overhaul done on this engine or top overhaul on this engine was 98, something oh. like that. Okay. Oh, wow. I wish we could and, get rid of the term top overhaul. And was that's it, another yeah, subject. It's because it's not an overhaul. <laughs> and and were the cylinders replaced with, with new cylinders or were they were the cylinders reconditioned? What what happened during the top overhaul? As far as I can tell from the logs, it was actually a complete overhaul, not just a top. Sorry. Okay. But yeah, the top Ooh. end was replaced. Okay. But were the cylinders replaced with new or were they reworked? Uh, no, they were reworked cylinders. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's what Mike was going for. 
Exactly. I'm, 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 it's just, it seems like somebody assembled the, the valves incorrectly. But it sure lasted for a long time, didn't it? it? Did. That's yeah. quite a while. Um, and the valve lash issue only started to show now. That's really interesting. You know, those well, kind of things happen over such a slow period of time. It doesn't get noticed, I think. There's so much pressure up there, though. I'm yeah. really surprised it didn't deteriorate quicker if the incorrect parts were Well, it, they're, they're very hard metals, but there are mm -hmm. lots of cycles. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, it's certainly good that it was caught when it was because it looks like that valve was, was headed for a failure. So, Michael, was this a breakdown call? It was, yeah. Yeah, okay. And we told you you could fly home, huh? <laughs> I kind of wonder well, about you know, that. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. I know, yeah. I mean, if you checked out the engine and it seemed okay, you probably did a ground run or looked at the data, right? And uh, Both. And then yeah. the, the mechanic that was there, this was in Bakersfield, California. They didn't find anything wrong with it. So, I, you know, I shared that information. They did check the that the valves were all moving correctly. They, they you know, they pulled... Okay. Um, the injectors because they thought that might be what was causing that as a you know plug well, when, you, when you say they checked that the valves were moving correctly did they do that with the bore scope or did they do that by removing the rocker covers i didn't ask that question but my assumption That'd is they took to the know. rocker covers and just rotated the prop that'd be interesting to know that would be that should be in a log entry if they pulled the rocker covers they would have written that up because they would have had to put new gaskets on more than likely unless they were silicon gaskets so. So we're all probably overthinking this, but that's what we do. <laughs> that's uh, our job. <laughs> we're paid to do that. <laughs> if the cap was just slightly, maybe not hard enough, and it took a while, and the keepers aren't fitting properly, at some point in the flight, if one of the keepers got lodged out of position, that would have changed the movement of the valve. And then somehow after landing and the lower RPM, it found its position again. And that's why it ran well, at least well enough to get you home. I'm just making stuff up. I don't yeah, like I think, that. I think you're I mean, overthinking it now, Paul. That asymmetry. <laughs> well, yeah. So, but I'm trying to figure out. So he's flying along. Everything's great. And then it runs terrible, really noticeable. And then it runs good again. So something changed and then corrected itself. It's a self-healing engine, at least for a short term. So something had to change. And on the return flight home, uh, it did do the exact same thing again. Ah. So it wasn't uh, like a one-time one time. thing. Oh, so yeah. is your wife flying with you now? Or is she <laughs> <laughs> sworn off of that? The big question. <laughs> yeah. So this airplane was very difficult to pick up. Everything went wrong. The weather went wrong. The trip went wrong. Transportation went wrong. Hmm. And so my wife now calls the airplane maximum effort. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have a glass air named maximum effort now oh it's, that's awesome you should always name your airplane maybe not that but yeah. that's good. she will fly with me but uh i do get teased a lot about it wow she gets she gets big points that's a great name Yeah, a lot, a lot of airplanes get named but not too many of them get have last names <laughs> yeah, maximum effort. no it sounds like a race plane i think that's great yeah. you should put a, a you should put it on the side of the fuselage <laughs> i thought about it when i was at reno this year i thought about putting numbers on the wing yeah you should definitely oh do yeah that. yeah <laughs> and walk around effort. like you know you're supposed to be there that's right yeah well, anyway, the bottom line is, and I think in an abundance of caution, you probably ought to check the the, the rest of the valves. It's it's not it's not a lot of work to do, and it would just it would make me f sleep better at night to do that. Yeah. And if you find others that look like this one, we want to know. We want to know who who who, who? assembled the cylinders. <laughs> so what he's going to have to do is get the correct part numbers and and have it put back together with known proper. Installation well, if, if you see something wrong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If this is on all four, then, well, you, you yeah. Have... I mean, this could be a one off. Hopefully it is, but I think it would make sense to check the others. Okay. Well, I mean, it ended well, Michael. You got home okay. And, yeah. and uh, you have a path forward. So, so, good luck so with order, that. order four <laughs> rocker cover gaskets and, That's, and, 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 a, and a valve compressor. Yeah. And a valve compressor. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. <laughs> there you go. Very much. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on, Michael. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Bye. Our next question is from Via Cheslov. I hope I got that right. He wants to learn more about his valve springs. Go ahead. Thanks so much for taking my call. Really, really love your show. I listen to it religiously. Thank you. Glad you're on. Uh, yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I um, happen to be in aviation, not uh, like many of your <laughs> Join listeners. the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I own two airplanes, actually. Both of them are what Paul calls vintage airplanes. <laughs> so one of them is um, 1954 Bonanza 35E, and the other is uh, 1960 system 172. That was my first plane. That's when... <laughs> on, I learned on it. And so my question is, we hear so much about um, exhaust valves developing hotspots because of the uh, rotator spring failures, right? So like in, in rotators, the spring kind of flattens out or wears out and, you know, the valves stop rotating. On both of my planes, it, they seem to be, the, they equipped with equally vintage engines. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so one of them is uh, Continental O300, the other is um, Continental E225. Doesn't seem to have, you know, the rotators, doesn't, doesn't have the springs. So my question is, it seems like valves should rotate there as well. And if so, how do they rotate? I don't know that the O300, I mean, there's no rotator. Uh, rotocoils in the O300. I'm not sure about the 225. Um, yeah, so I, I looked at the illustrated parts catalog and doesn't doesn't seem to just have yeah. these little keepers that uh, right. hold, uh, you know hold uh, the spring container. That's it. I don't know that they rotate or has anything to cause them to rotate. I do agree that they should. I think that's one of the few that doesn't rotate. I think I remember Mike pointing out that there's a couple odd ones that don't rotate. Most of them have something, mechanism to make them rotate. Is that correct, Mike? As far as, far as I know, yeah. I, I think the, the 0200, 0300s don't, don't have uh, rotocoils or, or rotator caps. So how do you prevent them from burning? Well, you don't. Unleaded, unleaded avgas. No, that would help, probably, <laughs> yeah. but... Are you having trouble with burn valves? Not really. One one of the valves is actually like it looks like it's developing some asymmetricity. Like it, mm-hmm. uh, when they when they stick a boroscope inside, it seems like there is there is a bit of a starting. It would um, maybe taking out the springs and you know maybe like doing preventative. Um, Lapping the valves. Lapping the valves, for example. Yeah, but I mean, particularly if if you see a lot of deposits building up on the on the seats and so on when you borescope the cylinders, it probably wouldn't hurt from time to time to do a little a little lapping in place to to clean everything off. Is there data to support that these engines uh, suffer from burn valves more than any other type of engine? I, I'm not really aware of that. I know I know the O200s and O300s are the suffer from from sticking valves, which the larger Continentals tend not to do. But the, you know they're they're low compression engines. They were certified uh, on 80 octane fuel, so the combustion temperatures are are lower, and probably the valves aren't quite as stressed out as they are in in, in higher compression uh, Continental engines. But yeah, as far as I know, there's no rotating mechanism on those valves. You just happen to have the two engines that don't have <laughs> rotators out of all the engines available. <laughs> of all the planes in the world, you had to choose. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. Our next question is from Reed, who is hoping to draw a lot of conclusions from a little bit of data. Go ahead, Reed. Yeah, that's a good way to tee it up. I co-own a 1971-172L, and it's equipped with the instrumentation that most of them were at the time. It has about 1,800 hours since a major overhaul, and we fly it about 90 hours a year. And I've listened to Mike talk about ignore that exhaust gas temperature gauge, and I've always been a fan of of aggressively leaning the the mixture. And uh, about when it had about 1,000 hours on it, discovered during annual zero compression on number three cylinder. It had a nice half moon burned area, that exhaust valve. And uh, since then, I've not leaned as aggressively. And uh, I've wondered uh, 
you know, do a lot of six hour nonstop flights in his airplane and, uh, which is kind of crazy, but, uh, with nothing else to do, but sit there and look at that exhaust gas temperature gauge. I kind of wonder if I'm doing damage to that thing again, by leaning ag- aggressively. And, and I've also noticed the indicated temperature on the single point gauge continues to, uh, increase a little bit year to year indicating hotter and hotter on that uh, single point. I've replaced the probe. I've replaced, uh, rebuilt the mags, rebuilt the carburetor. Nothing changes that exhaust gas. So uh, that's about my story. Well, let's talk about this Alcor gauge that you have. Highly Um, precise. um, The Alcor gauge, I, I actually, I never do this. Uh, this is this is what Colleen always does, but I actually researched this a little bit yesterday. <laughs> and I, I, I You're rubbing I, off I, on him, I, Colleen. I, I, pull, I pulled up up the Alcor documentation. Almost none of the Alcor gauges were calibrated gauges. They 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 are gauges that they don't have any temperatures written on this on the scale. They 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 they've got about eighty percent of the way up the scale. They've got a, an asterisk and some of them have an adjustable pointer that you can set and usually they're it's a yellow pointer sometimes it's a red pointer others don't have the pointer but what they have is a calibration screw on the front of the instrument and what the manual instructs you to do is to is to lean the engine to peak EGT at an altitude where you can where you can get 65% power at wide open throttle and then uh, adjust a little screw so that the, that the gauge reads right on the, on the asterisk. What that little screw does is it, is it turns a little wire wound potentiometer inside the, inside the instrument. So my bet is that if you are seeing monotonically increasing readings on your EGT gauge, it's because that, little potentiometer is starting to corrode uh and you might want to just recalibrate the gauge following the the alcor instructions that does your gauge have have a, have an a, adjustable pointer on it or does it just have the scale it, with it the has the adjustable red red pointer and okay because uh, on those gauges then they say they they say just put the pointer where peak egt occurs at an altitude, typically six or seven thousand feet, where you can be wide open throttle at sixty-five percent power, and that—that's how they recommend calibrating the gauge. Um, but like I say, some of them have the movable pointer, and some of them have a, a little adjustment screw that turns a a potentiometer. But they're not calibrated gauges; they just want you to periodically calibrate it to what the engine is putting out, as opposed to trying to use it to somehow measure absolute EGT because that's not what that gauge was was intended for. And that makes sense because he said he replaced the probe and nothing changed. So that indicates it's the gauge that's the problem. Either that or that uh, partially burning valve is letting more exhaust come through and raise. I'm just, you got to make stuff up sometimes. But the, Doom but, and gloom. But we don't have a partially burning valve anymore. Well, oh, that's true. Yeah, after you did yeah, the valve. Yeah. What did your mechanic say, Reed? Well, the the probe is not on the valve. I'm um, not on the cylinder. Right. It's a it's a collective. Number three yeah. burned. Yeah, and um, and my mechanics theory, and he works on a lot of flight school one seventy twos, is that when when they burn a valve, it's on number three because the the scavenge hose that goes down to the cooler is just right at that cylinder. Yeah. So I, I, that was my other concern that you're leaning differently because you've had a burn valve. And I know people don't always agree with me on this, but the reason a valve burns is because it doesn't make contact with the seat. That's when it cools. The way you lean the engine does not burn the valve. Having a cylinder head temperature that's at 390 instead of 360 does not burn the valve. So your cylinder head temperature is not burning the valve. Your leaning process is not burning the valve. What burns the valve is you get deposits under the valve, between the valve and the seat, 
that cause it not to seat properly so it gets hot in one spot or the valve quits rotating and it's it, hot in one it spot. gets hot in one spot and that's how valves get burned it's not your leaning so go back to your standard leaning pull it back till it runs rough enriching it till it runs smooth and you're good to go and your mechanics explanation of the lack of uh, airflow over that cylinder because of the oil cooler is not why the valve burned it might run hotter because of that but it's the contact between the valve and the valve seat that dissipates the heat and that Absolutely. has to be perfect you, you yep. know what is really starting to concern me quite seriously is that so far on this podcast i have agreed with everything that paul says and that oh, never no. happens <laughs> I, I i just must be your lucky day paul what a day <laughs> one in a row go to vegas baby <laughs> well since uh hearing mike say ignore that exhaust gas temperature for the umpteenth yeah. time i've gone back to leaning aggressively taxi and and in cruise and uh well, just remember that that Alcor gauge is is a relative ETT gauge that needs to be calibrated periodically to peak ETT, and it's not calibrated for a reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I See? spent about fifty thousand dollars on avionics recently, but uh, but no engine monitor, huh? <laughs> no engine monitor. You spent that kind of money and didn't get an engine monitor. Oh man. Uh, the, well, the one thing you could have put in the airplane that might have returned something on your investment, and you didn't choose that. How badly should we beat Reed up? I, no, you know, he's indicative of quite a few people. I, I think he may be in for a bruising here. Now, all engines deserve an engine monitor in their stocking at Christmas. Just saying. So. Oh, <laughs> in their stocking. Oh. Yeah. Thank right, you for Reed. the question. We love talking about this subject, and uh, enjoy that 172. Take care. All six hours of it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap. What did we get right? And more importantly, what did we get wrong? We would love to hear from you. Keep sending us those tricky questions and try to stump us. You can send the questions and comments to podcasts at aopa.org. See ya. Bye-bye, everybody.